it's time to start unpacking with another episode of the B Word Unpacked, hosted by the phenomenal women of Goodstock Consulting, Kelly, Kim, and Ebony. Hello, 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 B-Pack. Welcome back to another episode of the B Word Unpacked with Goodstock Consulting. It's Kim, Kelly, and Eb here to unpack another one of our listener suggestions. So season two of the podcast, um, and frankly, just the isolation of COVID has really given us an opportunity to listen to you, our listeners, and respond to what you want to discuss. And and I'm going to be up front. This, this is going to be a tough one. Um, but you know what? We are committed to those tough conversations. And I am um, honored that our listeners brought this word to us and, and really wanted to deep dive into the word bereavement. Um, the word even sounds heavy, right? But, but unfortunately, it's one that we all know way too well, especially given the hundreds of thousands of lives we've lost in just 10 short, well, 11 short but long months. I feel like we're living in dog years or something with the way that COVID makes time feel, but we have lost so much in these 11 months. And um, I think we all can resonate with the sense of bereavement. Um, I'm not just talking about those we've lost to COVID, but consider the people that have just that we've lost just due to the quote unquote normal causes of death, right? The things that um, we can't always control. Did you know that nearly 3 million people die each year in the United States? That's 3 million, that's on average. And nearly 6 million across the world. Okay, that's outside of a COVID year. So with COVID added on to these average statistics, I'm just going to be floored by what we see by 2021. And just, but despite how common the pain and grief never really comes easy. It never comes easy. My uncle died last year and then my aunt died a few months later. And that was the first time that I'd had someone that close to me die. Um, and I know I'm blessed to be able to say that, but but it still hurts. It still hurts. And and I'm not sure if it's my maturity or our relationship, but that shit was tough. And and I don't remember ever feeling that sad. And it seems like since those deaths, deaths have been climbing on top of deaths that are still at my doorstep. And so this is a word that I probably need um, just as much as our guests that are going to come on tonight and even my co-hosts. Ladies, what about you? Like, tell us about your first experience with uh, bereavement. Right. Um, I guess I'll go first. And I, I'm going to go ahead and tell people I ain't going to make it during this one. Um, my first, well, as y'all know, I always talk about my, my mom's description of my brother. And I was, I think I was too young to truly, um, like I was sad cause she was sad, but I was too young to know what that level of hurt was. But my first um, battle with bereavement was actually my boyfriend in, in high school, um, his niece who was maybe, oh, um, I think she was like maybe nine months old. Um, I remember it was around the fair time and she, she had what they thought was just like a cold or something. And um, I literally, I think uh, we saw her that maybe a couple days before that. And, um, and he called and she said, he said she was dead. And I was like, what do you mean she's 
did. I mean, she's like a kid. And um, at her funeral, I don't know how her parents walked down. I don't. I don't know how her dad walked down that um, the aisle at church because he was just a wreck and just screaming, you know, my baby. And this baby's casket was like a shoebox. I mean, it was just something. But um, yeah, that was the first time I dealing with um, how how fragile life can be. So that was tough. Yeah, that yeah. sounds tough. And I know you get pretty tender about the kids as anyway. So that is a tough one. Yeah. What about you, Kels? You know, my first real brush with grief and loss and bereavement happened my senior year of college. My uh, my boyfriend at the time, Jeffrey Donovan Perry. So mm-hmm. it was picture perfect. I dated Jeffrey Donovan Perry. My best friend dated his best friend. So, you know, it was real, yeah, real different world. I was living my different world fantasy. Um, but our senior year, kind of around the winter time, I remember Jeff just kept getting colds and what we thought was pneumonia or the flu. And he went to the multiple doctors. He went to, you know, the doctor on the, on the campus to be checked out and everybody kept saying it was either a cold or a flu or whatever. But we got to kind of late uh, winter, early spring of 99, and he lost like 20 pounds in a matter of like 10 days. And he went to the doctor because he was like, he was like, something is not right. And they ultimately diagnosed him with cancer. I don't remember the form of cancer, but what I remember is this. After he got that diagnosis and was hospitalized, my mom flew to be with me. My mom was living in Panama at the time. His mom flew from Baton Rouge to come be in Atlanta. And from the time that both of our mothers arrived and then we visited him in the hospital. So within like 48 hours, he had lost straight up like another 20 pounds. I know this sounds like impossible, but this really happened. Like he went, he shrunk. Like I've never seen this happen before in terms of a human being. Anyway, Jeff wound up, um, you know, battling cancer, going through multiple rounds of chemo, but he he lost the battle very quickly. And so um, I drove me, my best friend, Jeff's best friend and his other boy piled in a car with my mama. We rented a car and drove to Baton Rouge to, to attend his funeral, which happened uh three days before graduation. And his mama, Miss Emma Perry, who was like a second mother to me, asked me to speak at the funeral. And I just remember feeling so ill-equipped to do it, um, so unprepared to do it. But like, we were getting to that funeral no matter what, we were getting to that service. And so spoke at the funeral, spoke at the service, um, said our farewells. And then my mom piled these four college students back in the car and drove us back from Baton Rouge to Atlanta so we could then walk the next day. And what I'll share about this, and I'm sure the, the ladies are gonna get into this, is just when your partner is declining in such a public way, the process of having to go through your grief or whatever that is so publicly, you know, on a college campus with people asking all these questions and wanting to know and at graduation still feeling joy, but feeling bad for feeling joy on that day. Um, Yeah, that without a doubt that, 
his 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 passing, his illness defined my early adulthood in a way that I couldn't have even imagined. And this is how I know that God is real. So within Jeff's passing, us going to New Orleans, us coming back, the day um, the day kind of after graduation, I received word from the Peace Corps that my application was accepted and that I was gonna be advanced to a class that was leaving within like a month. And so it was like, God knew I needed, I needed something. I needed mm-hmm. like a change of scenery, a change of, mm-hmm. I just needed to be in a different environment. And that's, God be looking out is all I can say, because that gave me the ability to get away and grieve in a way that I don't think I would have had I stayed. And so I'm really grateful for that, but that's mine. Thank God for God. Hashtag God be looking out. Hashtag God be looking out. Y'all might as well pause. If you're listening, go and get your tissues because I already know I've already swallowed at least 15 tears in just those first few seconds. So just go and grab your tissues because we're going to unpack bereavement with a couple special guests who I'm sure um, after hearing their stories will probably trade seats with us in this moment. Um, But let's let's move over to the B side. Welcome to the B-Side. All right, guys. So with us today, we have two very special women, one that I've known all of my life um, and another I'm always happy to see in my life. Um, They are bonded by a common experience of losing their husbands at a young age in the midst of building their families and careers. So our first guest is Latrice. She's a mom to five-year-old Chase, Raiden Chase, and an assistant principal at an elementary school. And our second is Alicia. She's a mom um, to two kids, and she's also a nurse. Um, Both lost their husbands suddenly, and she recently had a smoothie truck. Um, So she's an entrepreneur as well. But both lost their husbands suddenly less than a year ago. and ask to share their stories as a part of their healing and to show other young widows that life will go on. Um, And I'm so amazed by these women and their courage and their strength. Um, But I'm gonna pause right here to have them tell you a little bit about themselves and their story and sharing only at their comfort level. So um, who wants to start first, Teresa or Alicia? (laughs) Go ahead, (laughs) Teresa. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, like Kim said, I am Latrice, um, 37 years old. I lost my husband um, of nine years in February. Um, we were together for 13 years, but um, married for nine, and we share a handsome um, five-year-old son. So, um, as far as sickness, there was none. I mean, he had high blood pressure, but on meds that he took. Um, but there was no type of um, him being hospitalized or anything. Just sudden, um, one night after putting Chase down and us actually lying down in the bed, he um, started a faint coughing and then um, said, you know, babe, I don't feel like I can breathe, but I'm going to go outside just to get a breath of fresh air. And so I said, okay. Um, And so he went outside and then um, came back up the stairs and said, babe, I think you're going to need to take me to the um, hospital. 
All right. I think, yeah, I think you're going to need to take me to the hospital. But I said, well, if you can't breathe, we'll just call the EMS. So we did. Um, the EMS came um, and I was under the impression that he was having an asthma attack because I knew he had asthma when he was young. Um, never had any problems with it when we were dating, but I figured, hey, maybe a flare up, something like that. And then after um, I realized they wouldn't allow me to ride in the back of the EMS that it was serious because just two days before that, a student of mine had to go to the hospital and they allowed me to ride in the back of the EMS. And when they told me that I couldn't and I saw the two EMTs that came got in the back of the EMS and the firemen actually drove the EMS to the hospital, then I realized something was um, wrong. So I just assume he's having a heart attack, but, and as I'm riding in the EMS, I'm saying, oh, he's having a heart attack. Okay, tomorrow I'll call HR. I'll go out on FMLA. We'll figure this out. Maybe he's gonna have to have open heart surgery. That's what I'm thinking, cause I'm such a planner in my mind. Um, but then I realized something's wrong because the fireman is just a wreck. The fireman that's driving the EMS. Um, he can't, he didn't remember how he got in the subdivision that we live in live live in so i had to show him how to get out when we got to the hospital he didn't know how to get to the emergency room so i had to show him when we got out of the ems at the hospital he didn't know how to open the door and so here i am um telling him you know you need to do this or you need to go that way so i was like he's nervous about something so something's really wrong. Um, and so I look in the back of the EMS and they are working on my husband, I guess doing CPR or whatever it is. Um, and so I couldn't stand to look. So I um, just kind of rushed off my sister-in-law. I told her to meet me there. And then my dad had actually followed um, me there. Um, and so I ran into the waiting room to meet my sister-in-law and she, um, and I told her, you know, let's go in the back to see what's going on. So then they tell me, you can't come back here. And so I said, well, I just left from back there. And they were like, you can't come back. So at that point, I'm nervous and I'm crying. Um, and then they tell me, hey, we're going to um, allow you to move to this room. So I'm thinking, OK, well, maybe it's because I am crying too loud and it's a hospital. So we moved to the room and not 15 minutes later, um, they come to me and ask me, um, so tell me a little bit about your husband. And I did. And they asked me, well, tell me a little bit about what happened tonight. And I told them that. And then they said to me, unfortunately, Mr. Smalls has passed away. And the only thing I could do at that time was to fall on the floor. Um, I didn't pass out or anything. I just fell because I just felt like I um, felt life. <laughs> leave my body. Um, and so then we get to move to the room where he is and I see him and, and he looks as if he's sleeping. But then I see that this is going to, this is about to be my new reality. But me being who I am, I'm crying and thinking at the same time, you know, how do I move forward? We need to call this person. We need to call that person. Um, never, taking the time to say, honey, your husband just left you. Um, just thinking about what needs to be done, I guess, because that's what I do in my daily profession. I'm the one that gets things done. 
Um, but when I get home and realize that I'm coming back to a home where it's just going to be me and my son um, for a while, my son who has never known life without a father, my son who has had his father walk through the door every day, they play, they wrestle, they joke, um, then reality sinks in. And the only thing I could do was to kneel down on the front of my couch and just fall on my knees Um calling on God, just talking to him, saying how I felt. And I felt myself grieve. Um, that happened late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. So I've allowed myself to cry all day Thursday. Um, my family is very supportive. Kim will tell you that um, as well. Like her mom was one of the first ones that showed up at the hospital. Her sister um, just basically took my phone and answered it all day. Um, my mom and my dad, um, they were, they never left my side. My sister, um, fam family was here um, and they did what I needed them to do. But that Thursday I grieved um, all day. And then Friday, it was right back to business. Um, going to the job, getting insurance stuff, um, squared away, going to my job, putting in FMLA. So I think I've said this to Alicia a time or two. I don't know if I've really, really, really taken the time to grieve, taken the time to lay in my sorrow because I did it that one Thursday. And then after that, I've been just on the move um, ever since. But that is my story. And that's who I am. Thank you for sharing, Trees. I know uh, we probably cuddled more than we ever have in the past few months, um, literally in the bed cuddling because yes. what yes. do you say to one of your best friends that you've known your entire life who has lost a part of them? You know, what do you say? <sighs> Alicia, tell the people about you. Oh, let me try and go out the trees. So I am Alicia um, Magwood. I'm 38. Um, two kids, a seven-year-old daughter, Mariah, and a four-year-old son. Call him MJ for Magwood Jr. Because um, I always call my husband Magwood. Um, so he's MJ. And I lost my husband actually just celebrated my one year. It was November 1st of last year. Um, and we were together 11 years, married for eight, um, had just celebrated our eighth anniversary. Um, we were married October 8th, but because he um, has a construction company, he had a lot of projects out of town. So he um, had a big project in Atlanta that he was doing. So. He came home every other weekend, so we didn't celebrate on our anniversary, but we always celebrated whenever that we, next weekend he would come home. So um, ironically, just kind of looking back hindsight after he passed, our last date um, was just like a week and a half before he passed. And it was perfect. Everything kind of just panned its way out. I ended up able to maneuver my schedule to where I was actually off 
for a weekend, which was not likely. He was home that weekend. And when we both saw that, we was like, "Uh uh-oh, we got to make plans. So I got the ball rolling with our common friend between me and Sharice, how we met Sharice. Sharice watched the kids. I had coverage at the shop through another one of our mutual friends, um, Shay. And we just made plans. I, you know, took care of what we were doing during the day. He took care of dinner. Um, And hindsight, I tell people, I remember looking at him and, and he looked perfect. And I said, it was almost like he looked like an angel in that moment. And because of how it all kind of panned out for us to have our, you know, have a wonderful weekend just out the blue, I feel like that was done because of what was coming. Um, so we celebrated that weekend. He went back to Atlanta. Um, no issues, no health issues, no medicine, no complaints of anything. Um, active, hard work. I mean, he's construction, you know, he's a steel guy. He's stolen steel every day. Um, and I remember like it was yesterday because I'm off. <laughs> I'm running errands and I get a phone call from one of his guys. And immediately I'm assuming I know what it is because it was something I needed to do for him. So as I'm answering the phone, I'm turning around thinking that's why he's calling because I needed to go pick up something. And his voice and he him saying, um, I think he asked me, was I sitting down or something? So I pulled over and he said, something happened. He's not at the site that Jamal's on. He's here in Charleston, but they called him. He called me and he said, you need to call this guy. Something happened. So it it doesn't sound good. So I call the guy answers and he's like, you got to get here. Something happened. Um, I'm like, what happened? I'm thinking, you know, it's construction. He fell. Something you know, like just something mechanical with the job site. Um, but the guy's like, no, he, he he's not breathing. I'm like, hold on, what do you mean he's not breathing? Um, and then the phone hangs up. So it was like this moment of panic because I don't know what's going on. Um, then now I'm trying to get him back on the phone. All the while, like Tree said, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm planning everything because I know I have to get there. And then I also know I have my kids here. So as I'm trying to get him back on the phone, get to the shop, because I actually had a shop. I had a brick and mortar business. Um, and so get back to the shop. I still don't know anything. I walk in the shop. Luckily, nobody's in there at the moment. I lock the door and I go straight to the back. And I'm trying to get them to tell me what's going on. And all they could tell me is they're doing CPR, waiting on the EMS. That's it. So being a nurse, I'm like, okay, it's only a few things with his age and no medical history that it could be. So I'm just still in the mindset of, okay, he's going to be okay. I just got to get there. So got the daycare owner to drive my kids to Columbia because ironically, that's where they were going to go that weekend. Already had their bags packed in my car to take them to Columbia. So I left their seats and their bags at the shop. And luckily, Shay was working at the shop and she drove me to Atlanta. 
so that I didn't have to drive myself because I was going. Um, so on the way there, um, I still don't know anything, but I'm planning. I'm calling people. I've called everybody I know in Atlanta get to the hospital because that's where I'm from. Um, so I got everybody in route there. Then I get a call while I'm on the road um, from the hospital that he didn't make it. And immediately, I, I guess I kind of lost it. Shay, you know, has reminded me of kind of how I was in that moment. Um, but even in that, I still knew there were things that I had to get the ball rolling on. I'm calling his people. I'm calling our banker. I'm calling project people because this is what I did with him. This is how I helped him. He's no longer here. So I have to, in the moment, figure some of this out. Um, and the whole way to Atlanta, I'm literally calling people, emailing people, trying to get stuff in line. Um, because, I mean, that's, what I, that's just who I am. So then when we get there, everybody's there that I called, even people I didn't call. Um, and they walk me to the back and he's just perfect. Like nothing. There's nothing. Like True said, he just looks like he's sleeping. Um, and in that moment, that was reality. Like I could not, you know, deny it. I could not look at him where he was and say this wasn't real. Um, and from that moment on, I've, I've really been busy. And that's like Tree said, I, I know that I have not grieved properly because he had a business. So in the midst of all of that, I'm talking to DOT people. I'm talking to general contractors trying to figure out if, am I going to stop work? I'm not the company, but. I have to now make these decisions. He has employees that, you know, payroll. I mean, I've had to, I, I had to sit in that moment, put my grief on the back burner just to line stuff up um, in that moment. So, I mean, I'm still um, taking care of trying to finalize some of his business stuff, even a year later. Um, and I know that the busyness is what kept me in the beginning. Um, but then I started to feel some of the grief and stuff physically. So I, you know, had to acknowledge that and try and take my breaks here and there. So I was doing a few, I guess, self-care type of things, um, but then I fall right back into busy because I have my shop. So in the midst of ironing out some of his stuff, I have to figure now who's going to cover the shift for us to cover me so that the shop can still stay open. Um, and the girls did. They covered the shifts. I didn't have to physically be in the shop in the role that I was. Um, 
But after so long, that too changed. They couldn't keep up, you know, covering the shifts. Um, And then COVID hits. So in the midst of I've lost my husband, I've had to close his business. Um, I lack all motivation and, and even drive passion to even do what I was doing. Um, after COVID hit, I went ahead and closed back in March, just temporarily until we could kind of figure out safety stuff, if the girls were comfortable. Um, and then I finally decided in May to just close permanently because I knew I am not motivated anymore. And um, the capacity that I was in at the shop, I was still hands-on eight days a week, pretty much. Um, And it just, it was too much between that and the kids and now they're homeschooling. It was, it was a lot. So I did. I closed the shop down in May with the intentions that I would run the truck. Um, But still the motivation is not there. So I just, I can't do it until I really, um, I guess, grieve properly, um, start better healing and then see if the passion comes back. Yeah. I think something that I hear that's common again between you and Teresa is this resiliency, but in the strength, but almost a strength that can be overworked. You know what I mean? Like you guys have really leaned into that superpower that you have, um, which I think is beautiful, but talk about how you guys met and how you try to balance each other through that, um, through that strength to allow some vulnerability. Like I love Alicia, when you said, I just don't have the motivation. I don't have, like, just to admit that I know that's hard for you just knowing your personality, you know? So tell Mm -hmm. me how your relationship with trees, how you guys met and how you guys have really used that relationship to kind of allow yourself that space and grace. Yeah. So I knew trees, of course, through our mutual friend, Sharice. Um, And then finding out that her husband passed after mine um, definitely hit home. Um, And it was almost like, you know, being that it was new to me, I knew how I felt. um, And I wanted to know how she felt, how she was doing. But then you just don't know if, you know, for someone else, if they're ready, if they want to talk about it. or, you know, like that. So Sharice, you know, kind of was like, I think y'all need to talk. Um, I said, you know what? Yeah, we, we need to. Um, because it is, it's a different type of bond when you know someone truly knows mm-hmm. exactly what you're dealing with. Um those late nights, those questions, those thoughts, like it's not one of those conversations where it's like, you know, this person's just saying this because it sounds like the right thing to say or, you know, but they really know what it is you're going through and they're not telling you anything that they themselves aren't trying to do as well in that same moment. So um, after we connected, um, the bond just really grew Um, between us, um, just 
conversations that we probably wouldn't have with some, <laughs> right. some of my closest right. friends. Like, I mean, we really talk about some stuff. Um, and it's just comfort. It's a level of comfort that just allows you to be so vulnerable with that person, you know, and 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 know that you're secure, you know, you feel that security with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember the day we connected. I had an awful morning that morning and um, I just called Sharice and could not even get my words out because I was just in tears at my desk crying. And then finally I said to her, I need to talk to Alicia. And um, Alicia texted me and said, hey, I'm available call me when you can talk. And then I did not call her that day. I did call her that day, but we did not talk that long. And um, I think she texted me that night to check on me. And then we eventually spoke longer. And like she said, we just immediately connected as if we had known each other um, forever. We shared stories, we shared secrets um, and never thought twice, like, you know what, this is really our only third conversation and we're really telling each other these things. Never thought that. Um, and I feel like Alicia um, just goes along with my foolishness, if that makes sense. So when I want to be a whiny baby, she's listening. When I come to her with these ideas, she's like, okay, like our first idea was, why don't we try to find some other widows and just start a group? And she was like, okay. And we did it. Like we have about four or five, not four or five, three or four other ladies that um, we meet with monthly um, that have lost their their husbands as well. And they're young and they have young kids. I think Alicia, that has helped with our healing as well. Um, I know what helps me most is helping somebody, if, if that makes sense. Um, and so Sharice was our bridge that helped us to um, meet each other and connect with each other. And it's been going on ever since when I called her with this, hey, we're going to do an interview. She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you'll be OK. Here's the script. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. So, That's awesome. Yeah. It's like she's my new husband. Okay. You know how the husband agrees with whatever you say. Like, okay. Happy wife, happy life. I have a question for the both of you. So, you know, you're both young mothers and you describe the group that you brought together of widows and the fact that, you know, a lot of these ladies have children too. So, you know, what's it been like? from both of your perspectives to navigate the conversation, the the new reality with your children about the fact that their father is no longer with them. You know, how have you been able to have that conversation with your kids? And if you're comfortable, you know, what advice or what insights could you offer to other folk who might be trying to navigate talking to children about the grief process? So I'll start and then Alicia, you can finish. Um, So when Raven, my husband, first passed away, Chase didn't have a lot to say about it. Um, He would say random things. And and going back to Kelly, um, you said in the beginning, this is how you know there's a God. Um, He was how I knew it was a God. Because when Raven first died, the second day that Friday, he said, so you think we're going to be able to do this? And I knew what he was saying but I questioned him to see, 
to just to see what he would say. And I said, this, what is this? And he said, you think we can do this? And I said, what? And he said, you think we can live without that? And I said, I don't know if we can, but we're going to learn how to. And then um, a couple of days before the funeral, um, he couldn't sleep and he tossed and he turned. And finally I woke him up and I was just like, tell me what's wrong. And um, he said, I miss my dad. And I said, I know you do. Um, I miss him too. And I said, and while we're missing him, what is it that we can do? And he said to me, we can hold on. Coming out the mouth of a five-year-old and he just turned five. And so I was saying, this is all God um, with the things that he is saying. Nothing. Um, Yes. And so he said, we can hold on. And I said, you're right. And then I said, well, what can we hold on to? And he said, each other, the memories. Again, this is a five-year-old. But um, after that, still didn't talk about it as much. He was kind of quiet about it. And now I see him talking about it more, um, how much is he, how much he misses his dad. Um, and he says the other night, about a week ago, he said to me, um, why did God have to do this to us? Why did he have to say, he'll say, wow. Our daddy, because I prefer I refer to Raven as dad. So they'll say, why did he have to take our daddy? Um, that's not fair. And I just explained to him, you know, it's life. And sometimes life isn't fair. So I would say to other widows with young kids, uh, allow your kids to talk about it. When he's talking about his dad, I don't stop him. Now, in my head, I'm screaming, please stop talking about this because <laughs> I can't really handle it. But I never show that on my face because I want him to talk about it. He's only five, so I don't want him to ever forget who his father is. And I've realized um, talking is healing. Um, when you're telling your story, when you're talking about it, um, and he misses his dad so much. I make it my business to make sure we go somewhere every Saturday because that was our schedule when Raven was alive. Um, Every Saturday and Sunday would be family days. Um, You could not schedule anything. If you were going to schedule something, it had to be after nine. Um, And so I keep that going. And he says, every time we're getting ready to go, it would be so much better if daddy was here. So um, as days go on, I think reality is kicking in for him because he's used to this man being here every day, coming here every day. And now he sees that there's no coming back. So again, I would say, um, let your kid talk about it, whatever he feels, um, whatever he wants to say, let, let them do it. Cause talking is going to help them. I agree. Um, so after getting back, because I knew I had to get back, because again, the kids were in Columbia at my grandmother's house, which was not out of the norm for them. So they didn't think anything about being in Columbia and me not being there. But I knew I had to get back um, so that I could tell them. Um, so my mom and my best friend came back with me. Um, we had family in. Columbia um, at the house already. And as soon as I go in, um, my daughter, she's six at the time. She's a little mini me. So she 
I feel like she is still connected to me. So she feels what I feel. So she knew something was not right. Um, and at the time, my son was three. So I said, you know, I have something to tell you. And she looked at me and she said, get it out. And I was like, oh, God, because she knew it wasn't good. And I said, you know, daddy's gone. Dad, daddy's no longer here. And she started to cry, which made me cry, which made my three-year-old cry. So now we're all crying, but she immediately stopped and she sat up and she said, mommy, we're going to be okay. And I looked at her and I'm like, a six-year-old, she went and got me Kleenex and started drying my eyes and telling me we're going to be all right. And I'm just looking at her like, who are you? (laughs) How are you telling me this? Um, And from that moment on, she showed no emotion. Um, Not that she, she, and to the point of she was trying to stay strong. She wanted to be strong for everybody. And I recognized that because that's who I am. And I did not want that for her. I don't want you to feel like you have to be strong. You're not an adult. I need you to feel. So while I'm thinking my three-year-old is not going to really understand, my six-year-old is going to have the harder time because she was older and had, you know, more memories and more interactions. It was the opposite. My six-year-old is like tough as nails, don't want to talk about it because I don't want to be sad and I want to be strong. And now I have my three-year-old who does not know how to express what he's feeling. And now he is waking up at night crying uncontrollably, but cannot tell me what it is. Um, He was actually the last person to talk to his dad. Um, because we too had a routine. So we dropped Mariah off to school and on the way to school, stop at Dunkin' Donuts. Well, on the way to school, he has my phone calling his dad and they have full conversation first thing in the morning on the way to Dunkin' Donuts. So for days, weeks after that, he kept trying to call him. Um, And that was hard. And I'm, you know, snatching the phone like, no, you know, daddy's not going to pick up. So it was hard for him to grasp the fact that daddy's not here because daddy would be gone to Atlanta. So it almost seemed like, no, daddy's coming home this weekend. Um, And for a while, that's kind of, you know, how it was. It was like, yeah, we're used to, you know, during the weeks that not being here, this doesn't feel abnormal. Um. But as every weekend kept hitting, it's like, nope, that's not coming home. So one thing that we started and we still do is I've created a folder of all the pictures, like just as many pictures and videos. Um, so every night we do daddy pictures. They We talk, we talk like we're talking to him and act like he's talking back, whatever he would say, whether it was funny, like crack jokes little house jokes that we would always do. Um, So I think that helps them. Um, We even have voice recordings, so they will want to listen to the voice recordings. Um, So we had the tools to kind of 
And that was my, I didn't want them to forget. I wanted them to keep whatever memories they had. I wanted them to stay fresh, um, regardless of how hard it was for me at the time, or if it was like one of those days where I just can't do it. I did it because my biggest fear is they would lose their memories um, that they had of him. You know what? Thank so, you. I'm sorry, Alicia. I was gonna say that reminds me of the Disney movie Coco, right? It's like your 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 parents, your loved ones, they don't die as long as you keep their name and memory alive. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't I thought the movie was so beautiful, but to hear you guys speak about it, mm-hmm. God, it's real. Absolutely. You know, it's so real. And to hear the heartbreak of a three-year-old who can't, well, who was three, so four year old who can't even put words to his mm-hmm. grief, I think is a message for all of our parents. Like, I mean, our kids have feelings, you know, and they can't always, a crying child isn't always a bad child. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So how do we as mothers especially help them? Find they grieve just words? like we do. They, they do. grieve just like we do. Or, or even, or even mm-hmm. a step do we grieve? Because, you know, and listening to you, you said um, that you no longer find, sorry, um, but that you no longer find joy in what you used to do. Mm. And um, as a doctor, so I cover the ICU, and um, unfortunately, there's been many people um, that I had to have the conversation of, I'm sorry, but your loved one didn't make it. And And I'm sorry that y'all had to um, go through that because that's very difficult, um, especially if, as you said, Latrice, if you if you witnessed um, the CPR happening, that can be very um, for that to be your last image um, can be tough. So my question is, you know, the kids, I think the kids may be grieving, um, but in listening to you two, I wonder, have have you allowed yourself to fully, um, to fully acknowledge, because um, I noticed both of you have your your wedding rings on still too. Mm-hmm. Do you find it difficult to take those off at times? And do you even? I heard you you mentioned the shop and how, um, you know, you had your shop. But it was, I need to keep his shop alive because this is, this is him. And if I let this go, it sounds like once that was let go, everything just kind of. Oh, yeah, that was the, that was a difficult um, decision back then. And even still now, um, because I had made up in my mind, if I could keep his company going, I would and I would let the shop go. Um, because it was part of his legacy. Um, and I, I contribute his death to work. Um, I say stress killed him because he, he had it tough. He, you know, small business owner. And, and I would always tell him, I don't understand this industry. I mean, the stuff that he would have to deal with, um, as a subcontractor between the general contractors and just even his own employees trying to keep employees in the construction industry is is rough. Um, and he was kind hearted. If you wanted to work, 
you can have a job. <laughs> he didn't care about what you did yesterday. If you come to work today, you're going to work. Um, so he was very giving and he was very supportive of, of, of his employees that, you know, and that was his, that was what people knew of him. If they needed a job, they can come to Jamal. Um, and he wouldn't stop. I had asked him, please, let's consolidate. Can we get down to one site? But he had 100% completion and he never quit a job. So my thought was, if I can keep this going, even to finish his contracts, I would do that. And I knew I couldn't do my business, but I was willing to do that. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't possible. Um, and so it did. It, it, it really did kind of gut punch me because I was just like, you know, I couldn't finish it out for him. Um, and then losing the desire and passion and what I did, you know, it, it was another gut punch because we did that together. So it was like losing over again and again. And I, um, it took me a while to even come to the thought of, okay, just let it go. Just stop, you know, maybe back off. Um, it'll come back you know, just give yourself some time. Um, but I'm starting to realize that, you know, either I just, I mean, I know I haven't grieved properly um, because I've been busy for the last 12 months. I've been running, um, trying to take care of stuff. Um, so I don't feel like, you know, I've had the opportunity even when I wanted it, I don't have the opportunity because I have two young kids. Um, I have to figure out day to day. Um, I actually moved from Atlanta with him. So I moved to Somerville with no family here. Um, so even that in itself, you know, um, just recently, my friend had to tell his sister, which is a whole nother topic we probably could have about in-laws, <laughs> but had to tell her, like, she left Atlanta to move to Somerville with her husband. Her husband is gone. What does she have here? And, you know, keeping her here. Like, y'all have to think about that. Um, so I know I have not grieved properly in this last 12 months. Um, so that probably contributes to a lot uh, with the business and, and everything else, but no, I, I haven't <laughs> properly grieved, nor do I feel like I've had, you know, the opportunity to just because of the way um, our lives were set up here. Thinking about one of the questions you asked or, or one of the comments you made saying that you still see us with our wedding ring on. Um, the question in my head is, when do you take it off? Um, when do you say it's over? Um, because technically it's over. Um, regardless of how we want to accept that our husbands have died and 
we all know, even though I pray this every night and I don't know why I pray it, I guess it's because I'm, I'm grieving. Every night I still pray and ask God to bring my husband back. And I know some would think that I'm, I'm crazy. I know that I'm not crazy. I know who I am, but I know that's what I want. If I could have anything in this world, that's what I would want. If me and my son had to live in my car, but we could have his dad and my husband back, I'd be happy living in that car. So that's why I haven't removed my wedding ring yet because I don't know when. Um, but again, I'm a planner. So I said to myself when it's a year, um, which would be February 20th, I said February 21st, I will move my wedding ring to the other hand. Um, because I do want to um, maybe not marry again, but um, date again or just have that companion um, again. So um, letting go of anything is hard. Um, I was having this conversation with my cousins at brunch the other day. My husband um, owned a small painting business. And so he has a lot of um, commercial painting equipment. Um, and I have a cousin that paints. Um, he has an uncle the one that taught him to paint. And I could easily say to them, come and get these things, but I don't want to let go. Um, his, my husband was a neat freak. So his garage is like um, arranged. It's organized and everything. I haven't moved one thing. Um, my dad will come to borrow tools and I'll be like, and make sure you put it back as soon as you're done. Put it back like how you found it. Like right now I have two boxes in the garage and I'm like, I got to get those boxes out of there before Raven. Um, cracks the grave or whatever. So it's just, it's hard letting go, Ebony. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever, I don't know. I don't know, Ebony. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you touched on something I was going to ask. Like, how do you start to find or when do you start to find that joy again? And do you feel guilty about that? I know Kelly talked about with Jeffrey Donovan and how she felt the joy of graduating, but she felt guilty about that. Mm -hmm. So how do you guys navigate those happy moments in life without and do you feel guilt about having moments I, of happiness? I do. I realize I do, but I would check myself. Like the other night, I went to a small um, costume party. And at one point I was like having a good time. And then I actually said to myself, should you be having a good time? You should be grieving. So I actually stood up to dance and I, I sat back down because I'm like, oh, should I be doing this? But I'm one of those um, people who always worried of, worry about what the next person should say. And I don't know why I do that um, because I know who I am and I'm pretty confident, um, but I still worry about things like that, which is crazy, but um, it's tough. Um, I have um, talked to another guy on the phone and when I found myself like having joy and having a conversation with him, I would like kind of double back and be like, you know what? I'm happy, but my son isn't. So I need to stop talking to him because I want to feel like how my son feels until my son feels better. Um, if that makes sense. So it's just hard. Um, I think that, um, 
if someone else came along, that would help with your healing because it would fill some of those voids. But I often struggle with how is this going to help my son? So, yeah, you get your voids filled. You have that somebody to go on a date with. You have that somebody to talk on the phone with. But what is your son going to have? So I struggle um, with that. I struggle with your son will have you. You're right. And, you know, one of the things, you know, Alicia, you were talking about, you said you feel like stress, stress killed your husband. Right. And whenever we don't deal with grief in a way, all that. And when you say, what would my son have? Your son will have you and you deserve happiness. And, you know, we talk about God, God, God will bring someone in your life because your husband is bringing someone in your life because he loved you that much. And he wants- it's funny you said that because <laughs> I, I was just having a conversation with Raven the other day and I said, you left me here. So you better send me somebody real damn good. <laughs> down here. Like just this morning, I had an episode in my car. And when I thought back about it, I'm like, girl, you are crazy. My son's teacher emailed last night and said, hey, they're supposed to wear black pants, yellow shirt. Well, I didn't see the email until I was in the car rider line with him getting out. So I back out of the line because I don't want my kid to be the to be the only one without the black pants and the yellow shirt. Um, I go back home, change his clothes. Yesterday, I accidentally forgot that there was PTA meeting via Zoom. So I felt bad about that. So this morning on my way to work, I just break down and cry. And I'm like, I don't have it together. I don't know what he's supposed to wear to school. I didn't attend the PTA meeting. Now I look like, and my friend at the time on the phone who I was crying with was just like, one, I need you to breathe. Yeah. And then two, she was just like, hmm, you think you're the only one who forgot that? Right. And six hours later, the teacher says, I'm sorry, it was November 10th that they were supposed to wear the black and yellow. Oh. <laughs> nah, he wearing his black. Uh, tell her she owes you for pain and suffering. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's when they say it's, um, it's never the spilled milk, right? Yeah. It's never, right. I do have a really practical question for you guys. So I, you know, we're, we're young, you know, or at least young at heart. And so this isn't something that you expect. Like, what are some of the things that you wish you had thought about or the conversations you wish you had had with your husband prior to his untimely and unexpected death? Like I'm talking about like wills, life insurance, power of attorney, like, did y'all talk about that kind of stuff? And and what's something that you wish you have known that you know now? So, I would definitely say um, being a small business owner, um, it's depending on how you start off, um, you're just busy from day one. And a lot of times you're just hands on. So you don't get to do a lot of the stuff that, you know, you know, you should do. So for sure, one of the issues that came up in our scenario was how was his business organized and formed? There's some little box on that sheet that says, shall you pass away? What should happen to your business? Does it dissolve upon your death or does it go on 
lost, you know, and continue running. So that was one of those things that we had to battle because I don't know. I wasn't with him when he um, opened his business. I don't know where the paperwork is. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. So that was one of those things that I was just like, you know, you don't think about that. Um, I know what he would have liked, or at least I think I know, thought I did. I thought continuing his projects um, would be something he wanted. But hindsight, I said, no, it wouldn't have. He would not have wanted me to carry that burden, that stress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To piggyback um, on you, Ebony, that's a constant battle for me acknowledging my level of stress because I've said several times I don't want to take on that stress and end up the same way. Um, I don't and want stress he have wanted to take me. Mm -hmm. And would he have wanted you to sacrifice your own dreams and businesses mm -hmm. to try to maintain his in an industry that you don't even understand? Get her, Kim, get her, get her. I'm just asking because I know I know what kind of man you had, <laughs> but you know him more than anybody else. And, and, right. and that's a real question. Would he have wanted you to sacrifice a piece of you so that the business that you don't even, would he even want you in his business? <laughs> yeah clearly not he ain't have nobody in his business that's why I nobody run it out there. <laughs> I have a question for I you both I do the HR stuff but I'm not a project manager I You're like this ain't my jam this ain't my thing I don't know Save how to jam. Jam. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question for you both and this kind of comes down to well, clearly you're surrounded by a support system so you found each other it sounds like you both have supportive uh, parents and siblings mm -hmm. and you you've built community and so two things, you know, what are your recommendations, if you can even put yourself in this position for folks who might not have that kind of a community around them as they're going through the grief process, you know, how they can potentially tap into supports or comforts that they might need. And then the other thing, as you're thinking about it, even your community, even those closest to you don't necessarily know the right thing to do. And so during these times, you know, what what would you say to people who might feel trepidation around helping, who might feel awkward about offering support during the season? You know, in what ways can others help you? You know, how can people get past that awkwardness of navigating? Oh, my gosh, I don't know what to say to her. She just lost her husband. What can I do? What what's your recommendation to people there? Don't ask me how I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Don't. Mm -hmm. That's the number one thing. And I know people mean no harm by that. Um, that's just a natural thing. But I'm a living wreck. <laughs> I feel like shit. Yep. Don't ask me that yep. because you don't want that answer. Yeah. Um, you're probably gonna feel awkward if I answer you honestly. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna start crying. So don't ask me. Mm -hmm. If you just want to check on me, just say, hey, just checking on you. Mm -hmm. um, and then as far as if you want to help whatever your heart leads you to do, do it. Don't say, hey, can I? And this is just for me. Don't say, hey, can I come and cut your yard? Just just cut the yard. Just mow the lawn. Show up with the lawnmower more and say I'm here to um, cut the yard. Because me being the strong person that I am, I'm going to say, oh, no. I'll figure it out. 
are like I have had because my husband was not trifling, very hardworking and could do just about anything. I never had to ask my dad for anything. And so the other day my sink was leaking and I had a hard time calling my dad to ask him to come look at the sink just because I hadn't been used to doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's getting better now um, for me to call my dad or for me to call my brother-in-law and say, you know, this needs to be done. But um, if you want to help, just help. Um, just do it. Say, hey, this is what I have for you. Or, hey, I thought about this. Here it is. Um, and that's just me. So I guess it depends on the person's um, person. I agree. Um, because one, you have to know um, the person. So if you're friends, then you know your friends type A, or you know your friend is super strong, not going to ask for help. Um, so knowing that person, um, I think, should guide you on how to um, help them. So same as trees. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to figure it out because I'm not going to ask. Um, but I have friends that will just say, no, we're going to come and get the kids. You need a break. Or, you know, like my friend, she stayed here for six months after my husband passed. Um, and she just would do. She would tell me what tomorrow is going to look like. Um Tell me, you know, we're low on this or you need to go to the store. Like she kept me on schedule because even though I'm not going to plan the next day, I'm going to figure the next day out when it gets here. Um, Mm -hmm. But she knows that that's going to stress me out. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to let it stress me out because I'm going to get it done. But knowing your friend and knowing that person, just do it. Because if you ask, hey, do you need anything? I'm going to say no. Um. So I had someone, I'm going to come cut your grass for the rest of the summer. Okay, good. Because I'm going to go cut it if, you know, whatever. I'll go cut my grass. But it's just doing, just do something. Like, just don't ask, just do. And it's unfortunate for anyone who has to go through a loss and don't have a support. Mm -hmm. um, Because I don't know. I don't have a clue how I would have done it Mm -hmm. if I did not one my kids if I didn't have them I don't know how I would up the next day so they keep me getting up but then too if I did not have my close circle um and I've even narrowed circle down to corner the people in the corner with me because mm-hmm. when back is against the wall ain't no circle preach corner with me preach those are the ones that just do Mm-hmm. without asking without having to ask mm-hmm. um and i feel like during this process revealed who the corner people are Uh-oh. who your circle people are huh. talking to you Listen, whoever man. listening talking to you and, and the ones out in the seats watching mm. so um the when one, you go through something like this it, it does reveal itself to you yeah I can imagine it's the people who are who don't even realize they're being careless with feelings and in, in times and laying things on your plate when you're like, I don't have any, I don't have room on my plate right now. Don't call me and ask me for nothing. Or 
Uh, I wonder too, was it difficult for you when, if people were sharing even joyful times in their life, did you feel, or did you even have these instances of where people would want to share something um, that you would otherwise want to celebrate with them, but you're like, don't you realize that I am bleeding right now? Like, how did that happen? Um, I have a scenario with that and. I have a friend that's engaged and her wedding got pushed back because of COVID and everything. And we were supposed to go do the um, bachelorette party in Vegas and all kind of stuff. So she um, reached out to me and she was like, you know, I was afraid to ask, you know, you to go with me to look for the dress and stuff. And I said, no, um, I, I said, I, I appreciate that. I said, but I love love. Like my, what I had as much as I miss it, it was good. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a problem sharing and being involved with other people and their joys and their joyous times and, you know, happy moments, because in that moment, it also lifts me up. It also brings me back to the good, you know, the good times. So for me, I, it does not bother me, um, at all. Um, but I do appreciate, and I understand, you know, anyone that would take that into consideration. Um, but for me, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Trace, what about you? What about when people um, like talk about the husbands or share a good time with the husband? Is that something that how how do the people around you, how should they navigate that? So in the beginning, when it um, first happened, it was like in my mind, I was like, I don't want to hear about your husband. I don't want to see your new baby. Like, actually, there was a time or two where I would log off social media because I didn't want to see anybody happy because I wasn't happy. Um, but um, I think I've since, um, I've since, I don't want to say mature, but I've since um, gotten to a place where, you know, I've realized you will um, find joy when you're happy, genuinely happy for others. And so um, I've accepted that and realized that um, it's not that person's fault that you're going through what you're going through. And eventually one day you'll be back to where they are um, or you'll be in a better, a better spot. But yes, in the beginning, I didn't want to hear about what your husband did. Um, I didn't want to see your new baby. I didn't want to see no wedding ring. I didn't want to see nobody's wedding anniversary, but um, I've gotten to a, a better um, place. And have you prepared yourself, or both of you? Um, you said November first was um, your husband, Alicia. Um, so you went through a set of holidays. Yeah. How how is that? And and Latrice, with this being the first year, how are you preparing yourself? So, and this is where I'm going back into my dark dark spot. Um, I find myself getting really sad um, because Christmas was a big thing to him. Mm -hmm. Um, My son still believes in Santa Claus. So who's going to play Santa? um, I was walking through Target today, um, just looking at Christmas stuff. And my initial thought was, oh, I should buy those pillows for my porch. 
And then I was like, I don't even want to celebrate Christmas. I was just talking to my dad um, two days ago in my garage. And I'm like, I don't even think I'm coming out for Christmas. Um, so um, I was telling my boss where I was being transparent and real with her. I find myself going back into um, a dark um, spot because again, like I told you guys the last week or so, my prayer every night has been, I want my husband back. Um, and I think it's because the holidays and, and you can try to prepare yourself um, for what's to come, but it's uncontrollable yeah. and it's heartbreaking. Um, and also I just kind of wanted to go back to one thing that Kim asked, um, what would you tell another woman, um, how to prepare for something like this? Um, get a will. Um, my husband has two other kids cause my husband was 10 years older than me. So, um, he has some older kids and, um, I often say to myself, I wish he had actually written what he wanted them to have versus me trying to guess and figure out because I'm a fair person. Um, whether they're my kids or not, they were his. And so I want to be just as fair um, to them. And I don't want my son sitting and reaping all the benefits. I want to make sure that it's um, evenly spread out. So um, regardless of what age you are, because death has no, no number on it. Um, if you're in a marriage, if you're single, hell, get a will so that people don't have to figure things out. It's already written. This is what needs to be done when I pass away. Amen to that. Absolutely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap us up because I, I, first of all, can we acknowledge that this is the quietest Ebony has ever been on the podcast because she's about to cry all her eyeballs out. Um, but she made it through. And she made it through because I think you guys made it so easy to come into your lives and to connect with your story. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Let, let's move into our last segment of the podcast. Um, let's be bothered, y'all. Hashtag be bothered. This is the segment of our podcast where we give listeners advice about whatever is the B word that we just unpacked. So I'm going to ask the ladies and Teresa and Alicia, you feel free to share in too. What's one nugget of advice, encouragement, or support that you would give a person who is grieving right now in this season? Kelly, let's start with you. Sure, I'll hop in. I have two nuggets. I'm not going to follow instructions this time, Kim. But the two, <laughs> the two nuggets that I have are one, to really allow yourself time for the grieving and mourning process. It takes so much time. I think the first year, you're in such a daze. And to both of y'all's point, you hop into opera operations, you know, depending on your personality or how you're positioned in your family, you're doing the will, you're doing the trust, you're closing bank accounts, you're divvying up assets, like you, you, you're in response mode. And um, based on the therapy that I've gone to, based on my own personal experiences, I found that you know, in grieving the loss of my mother, it's not really until year three that you're even in a position to allow yourself to grieve, to, to, to even get there. And it makes me think about other cultures where women would wear 
clothes of mourning for a year, for two years, because there was a recognition that it took a process and people were able to signify I'm in grieving. And I hate the fact that both, I mean, Latrice, you're talking about, you were back at work, like, well, no, it was, it was Alicia back at work in an instant. And I felt the same way after the passing of my mom. Like, when do you go back? What's normal? What's not normal? Am I weird for thinking it's normal that I'm going back three days after I put this woman into a box? Like you, your brain spirals out. And so that would be the first thing, just allowing yourself the time and recognizing it might take far longer than what you anticipate. It's, it's not going to be a year. It's going to take time. And then the other thing, kind of going back to the beginning and just kind of the lightness in all of this is that the allowing yourself the joy piece, like I feel like guilt is such a, guilt is a useless emotion. And so really getting comfortable after somebody close to you passes, like Latrice, you, you said, like, I was feeling happy. You know, I'm, I'm at this party. I'm feeling kind of good. Like, don't second guess that. Please don't second guess that because what we all know to be true is those people that we love, those loved ones who have passed on, they want joy for us. You know, that's what they contributed to our lives. And so um, never question when you start to feel that spark, whether or not it's the right time. There is no right time for joy in this process. And so just, just lean into those pockets when you can find them. That was good. You know, I always think, so like I said, in, um, in the ICU, I unfortunately have to deal with this a lot. Um, but one of the things that I think it being in the ICU has really drawn me closer to God because it really does help me to see how we really are not this body. And what do I mean by that? So when, when I'm talking to people who are grieving in the, in the ICU or their families, I always tell them, you know, if I can, if I can take my heart and transplant it into your body and wake you up and you're still the same person, then you're not your heart, right? If I can take off your arm, if I can, if you can even for the morbid spot of me, if you can even have a stroke and after that stroke, you're still unable to move this part of your body, but you're still exactly who you are and you're not your brain, you're not your heart, you're not these limbs. And so when you're looking at it, I translate it to science a lot um, because if I can put electrodes on your chest and read the electrical pattern of your heart, or if I can put electrodes on your brain, on your, your skull here and read the electrical pattern of your brain, we really are sources of energy. And if you look at the first law of thermodynamics, it says energy is not created nor destroyed. It merely changes forms. And so I do believe when you say that, the, not, the number of coincidences that brought you two together in the first place of a random friend that within months of each other, you're, you're going through this same process and how coincidentally we had the same days off this weekend and everything was perfect. None of that is by coincidence. And it's always going to line up where it's never going to be on coincidence. And if you take time to pause in the grief and not to say that grieving is bad, grieving is good. It's a normal process. But if you pause, you'll see that that person that you love shows up in a different energy form every single day. And it might be, you know, a stranger walking by and just smiling at you. Or it might be if you're sitting outside and you hear a bird chirping and that's them saying, I love you. Or a gentle breeze that goes by, like that's like a hug. You know, like they're constantly trying to tell you that I see you. 
that I do love you that has never changed. And I actually do want you to be happy because I love you, you know? And so, um, so that's what I would tell people who are grieving is that if you want that person around, if you open your eyes, you'll see them in every single thing. And that's so true. Kids, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Alicia, what about you? A nugget. Oh, my nugget. When you said that's so true, how do you see your husband? Um, Hold on, my dog. That is him. Look at him. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We hear you. We hear you. So, yeah, he definitely, I know, is still here. Um, There's, like, I just went and Early on, I went and got my nails done and the guy that was doing my nails had the exact same watch that I bought him on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be listening to Pandora and I don't know how many times our wedding song will play. Mm-hmm. Um, my son will do something or say something that'll remind me of him. Um, so I get signs um, so often that he is still here um, watching us. So I hold on to that for sure. Um, and then what I would also say is, because I never was one um, prior to this that would take time out for myself. I was always like, we were just on this road to this goal um, that clearly we didn't get to. So my takeaway from it is live life, like stop planning so far in advance um, and enjoy the present. Take time for yourself because if you don't, you will have to in some way. So I've had to take away recognizing the physical signs that it's too much, I'm doing too much, and that I'm not allowing myself to actually feel the grief or feel the pain, feel the sorrow. Um, and now I take those breaks when I feel it. It's still a work in progress because I still will go, 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 go. Um, but I am recognizing when I'm doing too much. And isn't that a, that's a word for many of us, grieving or not. Yes, yes. What about you, Trice? Um, I would say in your grief, um, find the positive or, or find the things to be thankful for. Um, yeah, you may have only had them for 13 years, but at least you had them for 13 years. Someone didn't have anybody for 13 years. Um, celebrate, um, celebrating um, any moment. Um, and also... Um, like Alicia said, um, to you ladies that are married, are that are going to get married and will have husbands every day, enjoy the moment. Um, take the time. Um, I think back on life now and realize how hard of a worker that I am. Um, I work really hard. I'm the assistant principal. And yes, the principal is the face of the school, but the assistant principal, they're the feet. And so they make sure things are running. And so you, you're constantly working. Um, and I think back about all those late nights I work. I can remember one time Raven asked me, he texted me and said, do you remember your address? Because I hadn't gotten home from work yet. And so I think back about those times and said, those were moments that I lost with him. And had I known that I wasn't going to have him for long, I would have got off at four o'clock every day and came straight home. 
So um, enjoy those moments um, with your loved ones because once they're gone, it's just a memory. And, and a memory really ain't that much when you don't have it. Um, it's good to have memories. It's good to make memories. But think about not having the person, you know? So that's what I would say. Enjoy the moments, celebrate. And even in your difficult times, um, think about the positives. That makes me think of, um, Kelly, we better go get our bikini and our Swiffer and try to get our life. So on another episode, Ed said that, I know, sorry, the dog is losing it. Ed said we're supposed to be Swiffering in our drawers for these men to show them that we love them. <laughs> I gotta go get my Swift and my draws out. Jesus. Yes. Get it, get it. <laughs> the big draws. Put the draws on with the Swiffer. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll add my nugget before we close up, but I would say allow yourself to lean on others. I know as women, especially Black women, we, we're so strong, right? So strong. But um, it's in the isolation that our thoughts can tend to run wild and, and even get really dark and outside of ourselves. So even if, um, if if you're not comfortable sharing your story, sit in silence, but just stay connected mm-hmm. to people because it's, it's in that energy that Ed talked about that I believe will um, give you the strength, the restoration, the respite, even if it's silent to sometimes keep moving. And it doesn't have to be a big circle, but it can be the corner, just like Alicia said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen to can that. Can I ask one question first? Have you all um, spoke to a therapist? Yes, um, we both do, um, and the kids do as well. Okay. Um, I, I signed up for counseling like the week after Raven passed, um, especially for my son, because I don't want him to be 15 years old and me saying I should have gotten him counseling when his dad first died. Because right. he's an African American male, and we know the odds are against him. Right. Amen. And I started therapy. Um, I actually thought I have a little leeway before I had to, but I started it um, with the kids when my son started having the nights and, you know, a few behavior issues. I said, we, I got to find someone. And that was, it was still difficult because unfortunately with his age, there's not many providers um, that offer therapy for a two-year-old. There's not much they can offer. Um, And the recommendation is play therapy, but we're going through COVID. So there's no play therapy. Right. So for for them, we started off with some teletherapy sessions. um, And it was rough. It was still even rough. My daughter did it, but my son, the topic, even I feel like if he sent that's the topic we're going to talk about, he's acting out. He doesn't want to do it. Um, so it's been hard with him to do therapy, but I allow him his time to feel we talk. I try to get it out of him, um, the best I can. Um, and I feel like, you know, just what we do day to day with talking about, um, um, pictures, videos, and all of that is helping him now. He, he can talk me both of them. They can talk about it fine. Um, so I, as he gets older, then, you know, I'm sure therapy would help more. But for him, it's not doing much. 
Ladies, I just want to say on behalf of the team, thank you so much for sharing all that you did today. I mean, the the vulnerability, the just the transparency, the openness of the way in which you told your stories and shared your lives is honestly it, it's it's incredible. Uh, my mind's blown, and I know that your testimonies have touched people or will touch people in a way that you can't even begin to imagine. And so thank you for telling us your story. Thank you for sharing your story with our listeners and keep, keep speaking and sharing your truth whenever you're comfortable doing it, because truly I, I had goosebumps the whole, the whole episode. And so, you know, with that to our listeners, thanks as always for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media accounts, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Tell us what you thought about today's episode in the comment section and let us know if there's another B word that you would like for us to unpack in the future. BPAC until the next time, stay positive, practice self-care by taking care of the gift of yourself, your mind and your body. And to everybody out there, let's keep unpacking. Thank you for unpacking another B word with Kelly, Kim and Ebony. Follow the B word on Instagram at the B word unpacked and follow Goodstock Consulting on Facebook and YouTube. Learn more about Goodstock at www.goodstockconsulting.com.